This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I am Chris Trapasso. In this episode, I will be discussing draft grades for the NFC North. The last two episodes were NFC East and AFC East. I'm going to go back to the NFC today for the NFC North, and then Thursday's episode will be AFC North. I understand that two weeks out from the draft, a lot of people have really already moved on, which is, to me, pretty crazy, but I, I kind of get it. However, I know that there are a lot of uh, fans from other teams that want to hear my thoughts on how their draft or how their team's draft ultimately went. I'm going to start with the Green Bay Packers. Overall, just for a quick summary, I like what the Packers did. It was not like an elite draft in my opinion, but I think they did a solid job. I will talk about the Aaron Rodgers saga at the end of this. I gave the Packers pick of Eric Stokes, the cornerback from Georgia, a B- minus in my Twitter thread that I do at every first round of the draft. Just in one tweet, pick, pick number, player name, team, and then about two sentences, whatever can fit into the 280 characters on Twitter, and then a grade at the end. I liked Eric Stokes enough to have an early second round grade on him. So number 29 overall, I thought that was good value. I just didn't see it as the biggest need for the Packers. And it was so memorable when the Packers went on the clock, because I don't think the, to me, maybe this was just because I'm a draft guy. I I saw some people afterwards uh, when this whole Adam Schefter, like the timing of the Aaron Rodgers report came out. People on Twitter were like, Hey, like this hijacked the entire first round of the draft. I didn't really feel that way. Maybe you did. Uh, but it was interesting, like, okay, here are the Packers. There's a bunch of receivers available, and uh, who could they pick? Or maybe offensive linemen, and they go corner. And not that, I mean, if I was the GM, I wouldn't want uh, media frenzy swaying what I was going to do in the draft. But just beyond if the Aaron Rodgers uh, news never came out at all, I, I still would have been like, well, a corner in first round? Do you really need that? Uh, I know that they they do have uh, some quality players in that secondary. Jair Alexander is a top-tier corner. Uh, Joshua Jackson never really materialized too much, which was a strange pick. I loved him coming out of Iowa in the 2018 draft class, but he was a zone guy, and they put him into Mike Pettin's system, which is one of the more press-man-heavy schemes in the entire NFL. However... Uh, Kevin King, early second round pick a few years ago, uh, has not really played up to his draft position. And I know he was kind of the, the whipping boy in the NFC title game and he's allowed some 
big plays and some big moments. But this is obviously a good roster. 13-3 and back-to-back seasons, NFC title game back-to-back seasons. I didn't hate the pick of Stokes, but I, I, I didn't love it because I, I still just didn't think that that was the biggest need. I, I would have liked to see edge rusher, um, linebacker, like I said, wide receiver or offensive lineman to, in a way, placate Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Probably wouldn't have been a terrible idea. But Stokes, the player, he's very fast. I don't think he's fast as like in the 4-2 range like he ran at the Georgia Pro Day. But I think he has good recovery speed. It shows on film in the SEC. A little bit stiff in his hips. I don't think he's as stiff as some other analysts believe. I think he can mirror and stay in phase with wide receivers down the field. Uh, I like that he made plays in man and zone. Like He's not just someone that uh, specializes in one area. You can have him play off coverage. You can have him be in the face of a wide receiver at the line of scrimmage. He's got long arms. He's got good height. A little on the skinny side, but I think that helps him be really fast. And clearly, it, it is a Packers uh, philosophy under their GM, Brian Gutekunst, to really address and prioritize the defensive backfield. So not a terrible way to start. I don't think it was the best way to start. After that, Josh Myers, I gave that a B in round two, the center from Ohio State. He's a little taller, 6'5", 6'6", and I I get a little concerned with that size to play the center position because you are going to be facing some six-foot, interior defensive linemen that are just naturally going to out leverage you. But he is ready to play and they lost Corey Lindsley in free agency. Uh, he's very good at, at recognizing stunts and blitzes. Uh, and this is again, Josh Myers, the Packers second round pick number 62 overall. And he's got good first step quickness. Like he, he's an agile player, but Six five three twelve. He could add a little bit of weight. I thought his film was pretty clean. It wasn't spectacular. Another interior offensive lineman that the Packers picked recently, Alton Jenkins, was a horse in the middle of the Mississippi State offensive line a few years ago. He was my number one interior offensive lineman in that class, 2019. And his anchor was outstanding. I think Josh Myers needs to get a little stronger and to improve that anchor when he's dealing with bull rushers, because for as good with their hands as say 70, 75% of NFL defensive linemen are, if they know that they can just bull rush you and drive you back into the quarterback, that's scary. If you're an offensive lineman or an offensive coordinator trying to scheme up plays down the field, but it, that was sensible. That was whether that was with Aaron Rodgers over the next couple of years in mind or not, Losing Corey Lindsley, and yes, you have Elkton Jenkins there, but add to the interior, I like that. Amari Rodgers, I gave an A-. minus In the third round, number 85 overall, my comparison for him was Debo Samuel Light. He's not as talented of a wide receiver as Debo Samuel, but like 5'9 212, like built like a running back, truly, and plays like one after the catch. Awesome yards after the catch skill. And what I like about this selection is the Packers have Devonte Adams, who is an elite wide receiver. And we know that they have Marquez Valdez Scantling 
and Alan Lazard. They're more like big vertical threats. I mean, Valdez Scantling is faster than Alan Lazard, but we know that because Lazard is like 6'5 with like rebounding skills, he's actually one of those slower deep threats just because he can win above the rim. I like the Amari Rogers pick because they can use him underneath where there's going to be so much attention on obviously Devontae Adams and the big play being hit down the field. Amari Rogers is someone I think high percentage throws are going to be where he lives. So you're going to see him with a high catch rate and he's so good after the catch. He's not going to make a bunch of linebackers and safeties miss. He's just hard to bring to the turf. So you will maximize those throws that for Aaron Rodgers are probably like 85 to 90% chance of them being completed and at least being on target. Not a lot of vertical juice. He's a little smaller, obviously, but I like Amari Rodgers finally picking a wide receiver. Gave that an A minus. Going through quickly now, like the day three players, Royce Newman, I gave an A minus. I really like his versatility. And that's kind of like to become this trend for offensive linemen. Like, hey, can you play guard? Can you play center? Can you play tackle? That's Royce Newman. There was a lot of those blockers in this class. And I think the Packers got one of the better ones. He played right tackle at Ole Miss. Uh, I love how agile he is and how balanced of a blocker he is. His handwork is very, very good. Uh, he just needs to get stronger. I mean, 6'6", 3'10", like he could use a little more uh, girth in his lower half. That's what I wrote in my uh, grade for Royce Newman in the CBS Sports Draft Tracker. Like He looks like he can add some weight to his frame. I love the versatility. They they clearly prioritize that too because we know Elton Jenkins has played multiple positions up front and this was like a guard center at Mississippi State. So, I mean, A minus for Amari Rogers, A minus for Royce Newman, B for Josh Myers, B minus for Derek Stokes, for Eric Stokes. I think I gave it a B minus. Maybe it was B plus. I don't have my list up here, but it was somewhere in the B's for Eric Stokes. After that, TJ Slayton from Florida. Round five, 173 overall. I gave this a C plus. I don't I don't think this is the worst time to pick a nose tackle. It's maybe on the early end of it, but if you do need one, it's better to obviously pick one later than earlier because you can get one late. And there was some late push for him, like, oh, this is like a premier nose tackle prospect or, you know, someone that could go on day two. I never saw that with him. I thought he was like a sixth or seventh round selection. But for the faithful listeners of the Prospect Podcast, and hats off to you for being one of those, you know that I have position addition in my grading system and a nose tackle. Does, I mean, I guess defensive tackle and nose tackles go in one and the same in my grading system, but they don't get a huge boost. And TJ Slayton, and, and it's just my grading system is, I think, just set up for uh, nose tackles to not particularly grade that high because of, of like the areas in which I think are really important uh, to be a good defense, interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Like handwork is my most important trait. I think if you don't have good hands on the inside, you're going to be in trouble. But then after that, explosiveness, that's the second highest weighted category power run defense and then size and length so it's hard for a lot of nose tackles to grade really well because even if they are good with their hands and i don't really think slayton is they're probably not that explosive maybe they're really powerful and maybe they're good with run defense 
But then the size and the length department, it's not just obviously the bigger, the higher your grade is. Like if you're six, seven and 360, you don't get a 9.8 in that department size and length. I think smaller uh, defensive tackles are actually better. So a little early, but if you're going to pick a nose tackle, if you need one, round five, I'm okay with it. Shamar Jean Charles, the cornerback from Appalachian State, I gave that a B plus. I watched him late in the process. I got Appalachian State defensive all 22 film late. He's really fluid, and I think he can play inside and outside. 5'11", 190, uh, and made a lot of plays on the football. I think his instincts are very good. I don't think he's going to outplay Eric Stokes, but don't be surprised, especially factoring in pick 29 overall and pick 178, if in a few years Gene Charles is a better value than Eric Stokes inside the first round. But, I mean, I'm saying this having had Eric Stokes graded in early in round two. Like, I liked him much more than than Tyson Campbell, his teammate. I just thought that Gene Charles... And the fifth round was really good value. Cole Van Landen did not like it. I don't I don't know if this was like a Homer local pick. Uh I don't think he's an NFL caliber blocker. I just don't. He was really good in 2018 after that. Was not good in 2019 and it was not great last year. Then the last two picks are interesting. I really like these. Isaiah McDuffie, the linebacker from Boston College, his short area quickness was outstanding. It popped on film. And I think he's got pretty good range. Decent blitzer. Uh, was more of a quarterback spy, quarterback spy slash blitzer than a coverage defender. But at like 6'1 and 224, I think he can be, because of the athleticism, coached up on how to at least hold his own in coverage. And then Kylan Hill, like this, what, third to last pick, fourth to last pick in this draft, 256 overall. I don't know if they really need another running back, but Kylan Hill was randomly a late watch for me. Like I went through the running backs. And I was like, Oh my God, I did not watch Kylan Hill yet. I was really impressed. I thought he was explosive, good hands, uh, good vision between the tackles. I think he is big enough to bang between the tackles, 5'11", 210. Uh, and not necessarily breakaway speed, but I think he's fast enough, but it, it's, difficult for him to crack this roster that has a bunch of running backs on it. So overall, I give the Packers a B plus for their draft class. Uh, TJ Slayton, I don't think he's going to amount to much, but at, in the fifth round, that's where you pick your nose tackle. That would be the early uh, range, like part of that range of where I think you should pick a nose tackle. Shamar Jean Charles, I think is a feisty player. He's an overachiever. Cole Van Lannan, a little early. Uh, and I, I, like the player, but I don't know if I would have picked Eric Stokes as early as the Packers did in round one, or I guess just because of the um, situation. And I, I don't know if the need was the biggest there, but maybe it was best player available. And it really wasn't that far from being best player available for me. There was a few, I guess, names that dropped uh, into round two, like Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa, Aziz Jolari that the Packers could have uh, gone with that ultimately went in round two, but they pick Eric Stokes in front of that. So B plus for the Packers moving now to the Minnesota Vikings, another NFC North team. I think that handled their draft very well trading back from 14 to 23 to pick up extra selections in this draft and still get Christian Derrissaw was a home run like that starts off your draft as at an A. 
I thought he was the second best offensive tackle in this class. Yes, ahead of Rashawn Slater. I think he has better, or I, from the film, he looks like he has more natural power than Rashawn Slater, and he is longer and he is bigger. I think he's more ready to be just that classic left tackle, and that's what they needed. They didn't rush the pick. They maybe took a little bit of a risk by trading back, but it ultimately paid off. It was a, a gamble that was well worth it. Because then, in the third round, from that trade back, they are able to pick Kellen Mond. And if you listen to me on the Chris Trapasso draft show, and I, I did not pitch that name, that was all Matt Collar, uh, on the Purple Insider podcast two days ago, I said that I think Kellen Mond can be like discount Kirk Cousins in that offense. Not anywhere else, but with the offensive line, that the Vikings are building the very quarterback friendly system. The fact that you have Justin Jefferson, you have Delvin cook. Uh, you still have Adam Thielen who's still getting open and still making ridiculous catches. I think down the road, like, do I think he's going to be amazing? Probably not, but I, I did also liken it to the scenario that Dak Prescott fell into a few years ago when he broke out as a later selection and again, taking nothing away from Dak Prescott, but like the offensive line was set. They had good receivers. Uh, he had uh, Zeke Elliott to hand the football to. Didn't need to be the guy right away. Kellen Mond, I, I like that pick. I thought that was good value at 66 overall. Chaz Surratt, the third round pick, linebacker, number 78 overall from UNC. Gave that a B in real time for the CBS Sports Draft Tracker. I gave Kellen Mond a B plus, by the way. Surratt is a slot defender. He is a big slot defender. He's an outstanding blitzer, and Matt Collar has really coached me up on everything Vikings this past year and has told me that, hey, they like to blitz that slot defender a lot, like relatively speaking, not like every other passing play, but a fair amount of time they want to blitz that player, and that is Chaz Surratt. He plays with reckless abandon. Misses some tackles because he, he's not a form tackler at this point, but his tackle missed tackle rate got better from 2019, his first year playing linebacker after converting from quarterback uh, to 2020. So I, I think he's learning. He's an ascending player. Uh, pretty good range, of course. He's not going to shed a bunch of blocks, but he is that new age type where you're like, hey, you're just going to be second level defender for us. You're going to have to play the slot. You're going to have to get to outside runs. You might have to deal with some guards getting to the second level. That's not going to be fun. Try to avoid them and either redirect a running back or get your hands on him to bring him to the turf. But coverage is where he's going to make his name. And, and I think at 78, yeah, there's some risk because he's so new to the position, but I like that pick. I mean, I didn't hate it. didn't love it, but I thought it was solid. Then at 86 overall. Wyatt Davis, that's another pick that they got in the Jets trade-up for Elijah Vera Tucker. I believe that's correct. Uh, they get Wyatt Davis, and it's like, if you look, if you're the Jets, you're like, man, we could have had Wyatt Davis and like a pick 20 selections earlier at 66 overall, and the Vikings get Wyatt Davis at 86. I think Wyatt Davis is a very high floor player. I don't think he is a high ceiling player. But at the guard position, he's very well balanced. You're not going to see him on the turf very often. 
pretty squatty. I think he does need to get a little better with his footwork. He has a tendency to stop his feet, uh, which makes him a little susceptible to a counter move. But that's nitpicking. His run blocking is very good, and I think he's a pretty good pass protector. So to get him at 86 after trading back was fantastic. Later, uh, still in round three, so I'll, I'll be the lengthiest about the first two days of selections for the Vikings. Patrick Jones. I was surprised that he went ahead of his teammate, Rashad Weaver, just based on the pro day. Rashad Weaver had a fantastic pro day and was more, a little more productive in terms of creating pressure than his teammate, Patrick Jones. Patrick Jones got picked a little bit in front of him. He's just all about energy. He's all about having a high motor and flailing his hands around. Like I, I don't think we talk about pass rushing plans a lot on this podcast. I don't know if Patrick Jones has a plan, but he knows that he's not just going to try to bull rush an offensive tackle into the quarterback. So, but there is speed to power conversion when he is trying to bull rush. And I said it to Matt. If you listen to that podcast, this is an echo from what I said on there, but to bring it to this podcast, the Vikings are always like, Hey, let's pick high upside edge rusher. He's not polished. No pass rushing moves. The the, uh, production wasn't very good. They go in the opposite direction here. Why not? You've taken a lot of roles at the table trying to find the next Daniel Hunter. Why don't you pick someone that's maybe not a great athlete, but is not going to be like off your team in two years. That's Patrick Jones. Round four, 119 overall, Kenny Wangu, um, no Wangu, sorry, uh, the running back from Iowa State. I gave this an A-, minus, and this was more about feel than anything else. I didn't have him graded this high. But he's kind of an enigma because he barely got the football at Iowa State, but ran in the four threes and had like a 38 and a half inch vertical at the Iowa Pro Day. Awesome returner during like his four year stint, like returning kicks for the Cyclones. I think he's like worth even at 119, which might seem a little rich for like a running back that's kind of sort of inexperienced. He didn't get really the football very much in that offense behind David Montgomery and then Brees Hall. But the traits are through the roof. And I think he's like a pretty uh, complete runner. Like he has good vision, the cutting skills, like he can just subtly hit the cutback lane or he can sink his hips, jump cut, and then hit those accelerators down the field. So I I think even with Dalvin Cook, uh, even with Alex Madison, like why not take a, a chance on someone that might be super low volume for you, but can have a five, five carry game for 70 yards every once in a while, especially early in his career. I I like that pick cam Bynum, solid selection, high floor player. Uh, I was not aware that they were going to switch him to safety. I think he can play outside corner, but the plant and drive skills are awesome. He had nine pass breakups as a freshman at Cal and just was steady producing couple of picks, uh, Every season uh, had one last year, I believe one in 2019, but 2017 and 2018, two interceptions each. Always around the football. The pass breakup numbers were pretty good. Uh, not a crazy burner. I think that's the clear cut weakness is that down the field, he's going to get stretched to the limit. But at safety, you can just say, hey, watch the football, plant and drive on it. Janarius Robinson, 134. Uh, he's, I'm not going to say he's an XNL hunter at all, but he is that type. 6'5", 260, crazy long arms, showed some bend, but doesn't have pass rushing moves, and I don't think he converts a ton of speed to power. 
Amir Smith-Marset, I wasn't as high on this selection as a lot of other people. Late in the process, there was some push like this is like a game breaker and and this is the, the small jet sweep speed niche guy that you want. I didn't really see that. I think he's very thin framed and it, which a lot of those players like Tutu Atwell and Marquez Stevenson are. But I felt with Amir Smith-Marset, he got pushed off his route a little bit too frequently. And I don't think he's crazy fast, like to be someone that, especially in the big 10, like I would have liked to see him like running away from people on a consistent basis. I didn't really see that from him. So to not go wide receiver to fill that third wide receiver spot until round five is probably not the best navigation for the Vikings, but they had really good navigation early. Zach Davidson didn't watch a ton of him and couldn't get a ton of film. Uh, but one big season at the small school level, as you're an older prospect, history says he's probably not going to turn out to be much. But it's fifth round pick, so they really felt pretty good about him. And Jalen Twyman, their last selection, I guess I went through almost all of them here. Uh, 199 overall. I think this was awesome value because I, I was never as high on Jalen Twyman as some of the early hype. Like I remember, and, and this is not at all to bash any website, but there was a lot of people putting it like when he was one of the first ones to opt out and sign with an agent right away. And there were some headlines like potential first round prospect, Jalen Twyman. I'm like, no. And I, I actually like, let me rephrase. I didn't think that initially I'd watched him over the summer and I was like, ah, probably not when he um, opted out. I went back and watched more and I was like, this is not a first round talent, but I didn't think he was a sixth round talent. I mean, and that early on, no one knows. Like, obviously, mock drafts are all over the place a year out. He has good handwork. He's similar to Patrick Jones. He's a high-energy player. He has an, an NFL-caliber uh, pass rush move arsenal, better than Patrick Jones, but is not a crazy athlete. So he's not going to most likely be a eight, even 7-10 to 10 sack defensive tackle. But I think he's pretty high floor. I, I think he'll make this roster. They have Michael Pierce. Up front, they have Delvin Tomlinson. They need uh, someone that can rush the passer. And I think Twyman gives you a little bit of that despite not being a crazy, crazy athlete. Uh, the first step quickness is good, but then the explosion from there to the quarterback is low level. And he wants to rush side to side a little bit too much. Uh, it takes, and because he's not crazy athletic, it takes him an extra second to jump from gap to gap, so to speak. But Overall, at 199 overall in the sixth round, your last pick, I thought it was pretty solid by the Vikings. So overall, looking at my selections, I, I don't, and my grades that I gave in real time, only one C, the C-plus for Zach Davidson, and that, again, was in the sixth, fifth round, 168 overall. I'm going to give the Vikings an A-minus. So I guess, yeah, they were one of my favorite teams because I think that they're, like, obviously you need to weigh early selections more than the later picks and that trade down to still get Darisaw there and then turn it into Kellen Mond and Wyatt Davis home run. Very, very good job by Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, whoever's really running the show there. I think it's mostly Rick Spielman, but I certainly believe Mike Zimmer has a pretty big say in what they do in the draft. So a minus for the Minnesota Vikings. Good job uh, from start to finish really. And, and I, I thought they weren't getting crazy with any reaches, like anything ridiculous. And they got some good value picks along the way. Um, what other team? Okay. Let's do um, Detroit lions. 
on paper, if you're just looking at the players that they picked relative to where I had them graded, you're like, oh, Chris is going to love this class. But then you have to factor in. And, and that's why all of my draft tracker grades for the individual picks are not just like, oh, where do I have him graded? Okay, I had Penny Sewell graded at 10 overall and he went seven. So I thought that was a reach. No, it's not like I, I don't just look straight across and say, what number was he? Where did I have him? You have to think about, I mean, that is a big component. But I also have to factor in like team situation, obviously the roster, playing time to start, positional value, when you should pick a nose tackle, when you should pick a running back, uh, where the team is in terms of winning now or are they rebuilding. And to segue off that last point, I like Levi Anwazirke, like as the, a player. But as a rebuilding team at the ground floor of that rebuilding process, I didn't think the Lions should be addressing interior defensive line, not just at 41 with my number one interior offensive lineman on Wazirke, but then Aleem McNeil at 72. I mean, this screams Dan Campbell, like old school jock football guy. Penny Sewell in round one. Good value. Of course, I mean, not amazing value. Like we all kind of expected him to go somewhere in the top 10. And if he didn't go to the Cincinnati Bengals at five, like we thought, okay, yeah, he could get picked by probably not the Dolphins. They probably want to go receiver, but maybe the Lions at seven, maybe the Panthers at eight, they get him at seven. Like the celebration for Dan Campbell and like Brad Holmes were acting like they got the number one overall player. Uh, even factoring in positional value at seven overall. I mean, maybe some people did think Penny Sewell was the best player in this class. I did not. I think he's very, very, very good. He's a, an a elite, rare offensive tackles prospect specimen. But that's around where he probably should have gotten picked. And they do need offensive line help, although um, Taylor Decker is a pretty good left tackle, and they have him locked up. So it'll be interesting to see what they do if they say, hey, Penny Sewell, you're going to play right tackle or they're going to move Taylor Decker over. Uh, we know Jared Goff needs to be protected, but it's really not even like looking at the individual roster for this Lions team because I think they know that we know that they're not going to be very good this year. But then back-to-back -back defensive tackles, I just don't understand the thought process there. That Anwazirke can play multiple positions, but you want him inside either at one technique or three technique. And then Ali McNeil is a zero or a one. Like he is going to be inside eating blockers. And just to read off what I wrote in the CBS Sports Draft Tracker, I gave the pick a C plus. I liked Ali McNeil as one of the, the many, but uh, near the top of the athletic nose tackle class. And it really was. There was five or six that were big, wide bodies, but were athletic and could get after their the passer. I thought uh, really that Ali McNeil was probably the best one. I wrote athletic nose with serious first step and a devastating bull rush. Not much else in his arsenal. Did the Lions really need to pick two defensive linemen today? Like, I, I just didn't get that. It, it was like Dan Campbell's there and Brad Holmes is there, but they're still picking a Sean Robinson and Deshaun Hand. Like they're investing these early picks 
at defensive tackle. And yes, if you have Aaron Donald, if you have Geno Atkins, if you have Grady Jarrett, uh, yeah, that's very valuable. But these guys are not those types. I think Conor Wazirke can be a pretty good pass rusher. And like I said and wrote, Ali McNeil, good first step, and the bull rush is outstanding. I just, even if he's good, is the value there? At 72 and 41 overall, probably not. Afatu Melifanwu at 101, I gave it an A-. minus. He's long. He is very explosive. We saw that at the Syracuse Pro Day. Ran in the 4-4s, 40-plus inch vertical. Broad jump was through the roof. And I think he can mirror. I think he can stay with even the, some of the quicker separators because he is that good of an athlete. I am surprised, very surprised, that Melifanwu was still available at 101 overall. A lot of ball production. He completely suffocated Diami Brown in their matchup had a, just a pretty clean season in the ACC at Syracuse, which was a weird year. Like Syracuse was so bad, but they had like legitimate NFL, like day two selection. They had two picks, uh, Melifonwu and Andre Cisco both go in the third round. After that, I'm going to St. Brown 112. I thought this was a little rich. He's a very good route runner. And there are times where he makes ridiculous, like high point grabs with arms extended, not like high points over a corner, but if like the throw is a little errant, St. Brown can get up and be an awesome hands catcher. Then there are other times where he's dropping easy, like slants over the middle. And I'm not someone to really harp on drops for wide receivers because in the long run, it's not really something to hang your hat on and, and, say, hey, this guy has too many drops because receivers, they go, it's kind of like there's an ebb and flow. Like receivers go back and forth. One year, they'll have a lot of drops. Next season, not really. I think if you're someone like Greg Little that just chronically has drops, it could ultimately push you out of the league. He was a talented player, but just had trouble catching the football. And that's part of the job description, playing wide receiver in the NFL. Beyond that, that's not why I gave this a C plus in real time or that I thought it was a little early. He's not very explosive. I, I think the route running savvy will help him to get open. But St. Brown is going to find out early on that there are a lot of very technically sound, very athletic cornerbacks in the NFL. I think he's going to struggle. And I thought, hey, you passed on wide receiver in round one, two, and with your first third round pick, and you need wide receivers badly. You lost Kenny Galladay, you lost Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola. So you wait until 112 overall. Actually, yeah, both third-round picks. So they waited until the fourth round to pick probably someone with a decently high floor because of the route running, but not really that explosive in Amon Ross St. Brown. I like the Derek Derek Barnes pick one selection later. They had back-to-back picks in the fourth round. He's he's fascinating. Like I, I'm just excited to see how he plays because he's six one, like two forty, has long arms, and is a ridiculous edge rusher. Like he was legitimately winning as an edge rusher in the Big Ten. And you're like, how is this squatty linebacker just like throwing these offensive tackles? And he has like pass rushing moves. I just don't know if he'll be able to do that in a, what will be a clear step or two above in terms of offensive tackle quality in the NFL. And he's pretty rangy. Like he's not just a downhill guy. I think he's got pretty good athleticism, agility to change directions. Is he going to have five interceptions and break up 12 passes in a season during his NFL career? Probably not. 
but I, I don't think he's like super stiff and is a gigantic liability in coverage. And to pick him in the fourth round, I th- thought it was actually pretty close to the right value. And then they did not have a pick until the seventh round. Third to last selection in the draft, Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State. If you want to pick a, a you know backup running back to DeAndre Swift, you know third fourth option in the run game with some upside, I'm certainly fine with it with the third to last pick in the draft. And Jefferson, if, you're, if you want to run inside and outside zone, I think he's your guy. He's not explosive, but he can hit long runs because his vision is so good. He will weave his way through traffic, cut off blocks correctly to set up defenders to be blocked. And that's what he did at Oregon State. His best season, most productive season, was actually as a freshman in 2018. Regressed a little bit in terms of efficiency after that. I thought he was a pretty good back, though. Like, And I think I had him graded like toward the end of day three because of the athletic limitations. But hey, 257 overall, pick someone that showed at an early age that he can be really productive. So Jamar Jefferson didn't hate that pick. Overall... Detroit Lions, I'm going to give it a C plus. I had two C pluses, Ali McNeil and Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, I liked Don Wazirka. I gave it an A minus, um, but I I just didn't, I didn't like how they, how they navigated. And it's not just who were all your picks. It's when did you select them? What is their positional value? C plus B minus somewhere in that range uh, for the Detroit Lions and Penny Sewell is going to be good for a long time. I just hope that the early stages of his career aren't like not wasted on a rebuild, but I hope by year two, year three, year four, there's they're starting to build a legitimate contender so we can really see uh, him protecting for a franchise quarterback that's helping the Lions uh, take that next step, get to the playoffs, win a couple playoff games. That would be fun for that organization that hasn't really had a lot of playoff success uh really in its history, but in the last 25 years or since Barry Sanders uh, was on that roster. And last, but definitely not least in the NFC North, Chicago Bears. This team had my favorite draft class of all 32 teams in the 2021 NFL draft. And it starts with Justin Fields, the, the bold trade from number 20 overall to 11 overall. With the New York Giants, they traded a first and a fourth next year, and I believe a fifth uh, in this draft class. I was completely fine with it. They seemed like a team that I thought would not was not going to be able to move up and get into the quarterback range, but then one falls. Actually, two fell, Justin Fields and Mac Jones. They smartly went with Justin Fields over Mac Jones. I think he can be Deshaun Watson on the field. He's so similar to him, and that is what that – organization has been looking for forever it's pretty crazy that ryan pace gets another crack at the quarterback or to bring in another quarterback and draft another one and trade up for another one but he does and he does not uh sit on his hands that was an a plus for that team quarterback moves the needle of course more than anything else then at 39 overall gave this an a plus tevin jenkins who was a trendy bears pick in Many mock drafts that I did and saw around the internet during the pre-draft process, they get him at 39. He is ready to go. He is fundamentally sound and nasty. I think he he's a good athlete. He's like a higher level athlete. I don't think he's an elite athlete. And at times, Jenkins will get stretched to the athletic limit against like really good 
edge rushers, but I think he's ready to go, man. I mean, his, his balance, his agility to slide inside against an inside move, uh, the pop in his hands, his anchor, everything's good. And that's what another thing that this offensive um, system needed. They needed, it needed some more, some more stability at offensive tackle. And they got that at 39 overall. Then it, in the fifth round, they didn't have a pick all the way, like for over a hundred picks. 151 overall, Larry Borum was a very late watch for me. 6'6, 330-ish, played tackle. He's gonna probably be a guard at the next level. For someone that at that size does not have great uh like light feet, I don't want to say he doesn't have great feet because I think he does have good feet. They're just he's not gonna put them up or pick them up and put them down as as quickly as someone that's 6'4, 310. He was very calm as a pass protector. He wasn't rushed. He wasn't bending at the waist. He wasn't trying to quick set every single defensive end because he knew he couldn't kick slide. I really think he's fundamentally sound. And I think even at 6'6 and 330, he moves pretty well. Uh, maybe needs to clean up his handwork a little bit, but smart investment to go. Justin Fields. Then Tevin Jenkins, then Larry Borum, who I, I think for a fifth rounder is relatively high floor. I think he will be a solid guard for a while in the NFL. I don't think he'll ever be tremendous, but he's going to be a good player. Then things got insane because the Bears picked three players that I really, really liked in this draft class. Like in round six, where I was doing the draft grades and I'm writing every single uh player name and then giving my analysis and grade. I'm thinking, why aren't these guys picked yet? And then the bears went bam, 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 and picked three of them. First, Khalil Herbert at 217 overall. He was a disaster to try to tackle in the ACC. His contact balance figures like yards after contact was near the best in the country last year, like up there with Jared Patterson from Buffalo. I thought among all of the running backs in this class, like his ability like to be bouncy and like hit three or four different moves to make three or four different defenders miss was very, very good. It was near the top of the class. Does not have a lot of downfield juice, but he should not have been on the board in the sixth round. I know they have David Montgomery who had a breakout uh, second season in the NFL, but Khalil Herbert is going to threaten him because, and yes, they have Tariq Cohen as well, but he, I'll be surprised if, if he does not, not only make the team, but create some big plays because he is that difficult to tackle. Then after that, my biggest, probably my biggest draft crush in the entire class, Daz Newsom at 221 overall. And I know the history of six round wide receivers, like there's Antonio Brown and there's really no one else. Like if you pick a, receiver in the sixth round the history of like where his ceiling is production wise is not very high i think daz newsom fell because he had a bad pro day i don't know if he didn't have the money or whatever to to have a amazing trainer whatever he does not play to his uh pro day figures he was my trust the tape prospect like he looks very fast he looks incredibly sudden i think he can separate with relative ease at the next level his return specialty definitely shows after the catch in the jet sweep game, in just a bubble screen game, in just catching a slant or a drag route. He turns into a returner, and you want that out of a wide receiver who's going to win underneath. 
uh, went over a thousand yards in 2019. It was mostly the Javante Williams and Michael Carter show and a little bit of, of Dimey Brown in 2020. Daz Newsom's just, he's a good football player. And I think he translate his skill set translates to today's NFL separation and yards after the catch based. And then at 228 overall, sixth round, my biggest draft crush at the cornerback spot, Thomas Graham. Eight interceptions, 32 pass breakups in three years. I've repeated that stat line many times over the past month or so. You are doing something right at corner if you can put up those figures at a Power 5 school. I know, I guess maybe like the Pac-12 doesn't have the best receivers. Like it's not in the ACC or SEC, but eight interceptions and 32 pass breakups in three years. He's not the twitchiest. He's not super big. I think his leaping ability is pretty good to play the ball in those contested catch situations was mostly an outside receiver for Oregon. He'll probably be on the inside with the Bears, but I gave this an A+, because I thought, man, Thomas Graham, he is just a baller. He, he is an overachieving corner that has great instincts. I think he mirrors relatively well. But let him play zone. Let him read the quarterback's eyes, read route concepts on the fly. I think he's great at doing that. And he's got great ball skills. Eight interceptions and 32 pass breakups. Kiaris Tonga at 250 overall. Athletic nose tackle, similar uh, to Ali McNeil, Jonathan Marshall, who the Jets picked in the seventh round. I'm trying to think of all of them. Quinton Bohana from Kentucky. Uh, there were a lot. And Kiaris Tonga, I thought, Okay, seventh round, 250 overall. He rushes very high. There's not a lot of power despite being like 6'4", 320 because he plays so high. Like I think his pad level is a problem, but good first step and his hands are pretty heavy. So if you want someone to just add more beef to your interior of your defensive line, pick him at 250 overall. So I absolutely adored what the, the Chicago Bears did and they're getting an A. Like, I won't give him A+. Plus. I, I don't think I'll ever hand out an A+. Plus. And if I do, definitely call me out on that. But they had my favorite draft. From the quarterback position, cannot understate how important that is, of course. Um, or I can't overstate, I should say, how important that is. Tevin Jenkins, Larry Borum, two good blockers. Jenkins is a day one starter. I think Borum can start too. And then Khalil Herbert, the running back, very bouncy. Daz Newsom will be better than his pro day indicates. He, he's just a returner, slot specialist. Uh, I think he's going to be very good in this offense. And then Thomas Graham Jr. loved him, and they picked an athletic nose tackle with the right value in the seventh round. So Chicago Bears get the best grade, not only of the NFC North, but of the entire NFL draft for me in 2021. All right, that'll do it for the NFC North episode of the Prospect Podcast. Remember, subscribe, rate, review, whether... You want to tell me how crappy this podcast is or how much you love it, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be amazing. And subscribe. Tell your friends. We'll have a lot of fun stuff over the summer after we get through draft grades. We have AFC North next episode. I'm Chris Trapasso, and thank you again for listening to the Prospect Podcast. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's Power Cash Rewards card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggin'. 
Jones, you've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.